Welcome back to Magna Vita. I'm Alex Olson. Every Tuesday, we share the best practices and principles from the week's top podcasts. Every Friday, we share a bonus episode to help us build a great life. In last week's Failure Friday, we talked about how Dr. Seuss was rejected by 27 different publishers before he published his first book. Every other week, we'll be reviewing a book we just read. This will be our 10th book review. This week's book is The Millionaire Next Door, The Surprising Secrets of America's Wealthy by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. And to be clear, I just want to set the stage and be honest that I'm not an expert when it comes to finance. My brother is a certified financial planner, and he loves this stuff more than anything probably besides his family. So if you have questions, if you have concerns, I would be more than happy to connect you with him. But I really wanted to do a finance book because finance is a foundation for the rest of our lives. Depending on our position, it can make everything easier or harder. For example, when, when you look at the research that they've done, they found that financial problems are the number one or number two cause of divorce. One of the great philosophers of our time, Kanye West, joking, obviously I'm saying that jokingly a little bit, but he said, having money isn't everything, not having it is. And there's a lot of wisdom in that, that if we don't have enough money, then we can't focus on anything else and we'll constantly be stressed and anxious. But if we have enough money, then we are free to do what we want to do and we're free to try to help other people. I also want to be clear before we get into it that in no way do I want this to feel judgmental. We all have different backgrounds, we all have different jobs, we're making different amounts of money. But it's important to remember that where we are right now is not as important as where we are going. Our trajectory is more important than our current position. So, Because we can take a small step today and when you look at the law of compounding interest and other financial principles, you can see how a small step today can become a huge step in the future. And so getting back to the book, it presents research on the profiles of millionaires, people who have been successful and who have been able to make a lot of money but also save a lot of money. It identifies seven common traits that show up again and again among those who have accumulated wealth. And, from, and they talk about how the, the quote is, most of the truly wealthy in this country don't live in Beverly Hills or on Park Avenue. They live next door. And that gets to my main takeaway, which is that this book and this mindset gives us the permission to be poor, or at least to look poor. Because the people that are actually wealthy aren't the ones you'd expect. They don't live in amazing houses, they don't drive the best cars, and they don't wear the nicest clothes. And that is why they are wealthy. And I think there's so much power in that mindset shift. 
It empowers us so we don't try to keep up with the Joneses because we'll never get there. Someone will always have more and the pursuit will take away our money and our peace of mind. There's an amazing quote from the, from the movie Fight Club and it says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. So getting back to the book, just to give an intro and to set up the rest of it, they define wealth as what you accumulate, not what you make. So it's what we save and not what we make. And this is an important distinction because I can make a million dollars a year, but if I spend a million and a half, then I'm in trouble. And this might seem extreme and and dramatic, But there are people who make millions every year, but still live paycheck to paycheck. The other part about the book in the intro that I think is really helpful is they give us an equation to determine if we're currently wealthy. So it's not perfect, but I do think it's helpful. And the equation is to multiply your age by your pre-tax income. Then you divide that number by 10. And that's what your net worth should be. So net worth is everything that you own. It could be if you have money in a house, if you own a car, investments, and money in the bank. So for example, that equation, if I'm 30 years old and I make $100,000 a year, I'd multiply those two numbers together to get $3 million. Then I would divide that number by 10 which says that I should have a net worth of $300,000. Another way to think of the equation is to take one-tenth of your age and multiply it by your income. And so to wrap up the intro section, I just wanna share a quote that I think is powerful. The authors say, wealth is more often the result of a lifestyle of hard work, perseverance, planning, and most of all, self-discipline. Millionaires do it slowly and steadily. Most never become millionaires until they are 50 years of age or older. As we mentioned, the authors identified seven common factors to become wealthy as they were studying millionaires. And the first one is the most important. They say that millionaires live well below their means. So the main idea is that millionaires think differently. They really want to be financially independent and that's why they live below their means. The authors say being frugal is the cornerstone of wealth building. Yet far too often the big spenders are promoted and sensationalized by the popular press the advertising industry and Hollywood have done a wonderful job conditioning us to believe that wealth and hyperconsumption go hand in hand, yet the large majority of the rich live well below their means. So I think it's important to step back here when we're talking about being frugal and make the important point that we can still be happy. Money is not happiness. There are people who are incredibly rich and miserable. The things that matter most in our life are free. It's a cliche, but it's true. Our relationships are free. 
And the journey to wealth, as the authors say, is more satisfying than the destination. They talk about how financially independent people are happier than those in their same income and age cohort who are not financially secure because they have less stress and more peace of mind. And so the authors talk about if we truly want to be wealthy, we have to sacrifice high consumption today for financial independence tomorrow. And they talk about some ways to do this. They talk about how many people who live in expensive homes and drive luxury cars do not actually have much wealth. And they get into a a really good metaphor where they talk about how millionaires play both quality offense and quality defense. So offense is how much money we make, which is what we often focus on, and that's important, but a lot of times we may limit ourselves or we may get in a certain job and that's just what we're going to make and we can't necessarily change it. So we can always have a side hustle and we can always be creative and find something new. We can ask for a a raise or a promotion, but it's also incredibly important that we have quality defense, which means that we save as much as we can. And we do that by budgeting and planning. And again, I want to say that we can still have fun. We can budget for those things in our life that are important. So this, we're not saying, and the authors aren't saying, that we just have to have the bare minimum in our house and not ever do anything fun. But the idea is that if we can save now and invest, then we'll be able to do even more later. And so getting to budgeting, they talk about how we want to create an artificial environment of scarcity in our life. And we do that by investing first and paying ourselves first by investing a minimum of 15% of our income. And, and they say that it's much easier to budget if we visualize the long-term benefits. So this gets back to man's search for meaning and the quote that a man who knows why he is doing something can overcome anyhow. And obviously that goes for men and women. It's just the quote. And so I think that's so crucial here that if we have a purpose, if we know that we're working to have more independence or less stress in our life, then we'll be able to reduce our spending in some areas that really aren't important to us. And to wrap up the section on being frugal and living below our means, the the authors say the fundamental rule regarding wealth building is whatever your income, always live below your means. The second common trait of millionaires is that they allocate their time, energy, and money efficiently in ways conducive to building wealth. The authors talk about how they plan their financial investments and how people who aren't wealthy spend more time worrying about their financial future but fail to take the time to proactively plan for it. And for me, the main message from this section is that opportunity cost is real. So the opportunity cost is the idea that if I spend a dollar on something, that there's that, that cost, but there's also the cost of what I could have spent that dollar on. Because people who aren't well off, the authors say, spend time, effort, and money to purchase an expensive house, car, or clothes 
instead of investing. Every dollar we spend is a dollar we can't invest. And I know that's annoying and frustrating, but it's true. There's a trade-off. And again, we're not saying that we should never spend money. Some things are more than worth it. We should have our toys and our things that we love to do. But there's also sometimes there's things that we just get trapped into spending money on. The authors talk about how the American culture just promotes consumption. And we should be able to step back and say, is this trade-off worth it? Is it, or do I want to try to accumulate and gain more money so that I can have independence and I can be free to do what I want to do most? And that might sound selfish, but I think that often is when we have the mindset where we're not stressed and we can actually help those around us. The third common trait of millionaires is they believe financial independence is more important than displaying high social status. The title of this chapter is, You Aren't What You Drive. And I really like this idea and this focus because it shows us that often, and they talk about how it can become a vicious cycle. They say products change people. If you acquire one status product, you will likely have to purchase others. So the idea is if we live in an, a super nice community with beautiful houses, then we feel like we need a nice car to fit in. And they shared a really interesting story about a gentleman who was a business owner. He was very successful, but he was humble. He had an average house. He didn't drive a great car. So his friends wanted to be nice and they wanted to give him a Rolls Royce as a gift. So they all pitched in and he turned them down because he knew that he wouldn't feel comfortable in that and that he wouldn't be able to live the life that he wanted. That instead, if he was driving a Rolls Royce, he would need a nice watch, he would need nice clothes, and that just wasn't what was going to bring him happiness. Just some a couple of interesting stats that they share. The authors say the average millionaire spends $27,000 on a car. And affluent people, wealthy people, take joy in driving vehicles that do not denote so-called high status because being frugal provides them with a dollar base to invest. So they're playing the long-term game. They know that in the short term it might they might not be able to impress someone, but that's not what they're concerned about. They're not trying to keep up with other people. They're playing their own game because they know what is most important. The fourth common trait of millionaires is their parents do not provide economic outpatient care. The main idea and takeaway from this section is that kids need to learn how to fish. But instead of teaching them how to fish, some parents teach their children how to spend. When parents buy a house or a car for their adult children, they learn to rely on their parents and spend above their means. And the whole idea is that people become stronger by fighting their own battles. The give, and the authors say that the giving of large cash gifts is the single most important factor that explains the lack of productivity among the adult children of the affluent. 
because it creates a treadmill of consumption where they try to keep up with the Joneses. And I really like the quote when the author said, courage can be developed, but it cannot be nurtured in an environment that eliminates all risks, all difficulty, all dangers. The fifth common trait of millionaires is their adult children are economically self-sufficient. So again, I really hope this does not sound judgmental because we have no children. We have a dog and a cat who we can barely control sometimes, which is why you hear the cat in a lot of these episodes. But I do think there are really good principles here that, again, if we can't reach perfection, I think it's still worth trying and going after these things. The main takeaway that I got from this section is that kids will do what they see their parents do. I saw an incredibly powerful illustration or comic the other day, and it showed a parent and a child sitting on a bench and they're both reading. And next to them is another parent and child who are both on their phones. And the parent on his phone looks over at the people reading and asks the parent, how do you get your children to read? And the message is that if we are reading or if we are financially doing what is right, then our children will just naturally do it. But it won't be easy and there's still things that we can do to help them along the way. So the authors say a couple of, they give some rules that they suggest that I think can be really helpful with our zero years of parenting. So let us know if these are helpful, if you disagree, we always love the feedback and we always are trying to improve. So the authors say one thing we can do is to not let our children know that we're wealthy. We don't want them to think that they can just rely on us. Instead, we want to let them fight their own battles and to let them realize that they have to re rely on themselves. They also say that we, to do that, we should teach our children discipline and frugality. And always remember that your children are individuals. And then they say, emphasize your children's achievements no matter how small, not their or your symbols of success. So I really like that. It's not about our children's cars or houses, but it's instead about those things that they're actually accomplishing and what they're doing. And the last one I really like, it's to tell your children that there are a lot of things more valuable than money. Health, happiness, being with people, our relationships. I think we intuitively know these things, but unless we make it explicit, unless we help our children and our family know this, then it's easy to value money over everything else. The sixth common trait of millionaires is that they are proficient in targeting market opportunities. The authors title this section, Find Your Niche, which is really the key takeaway, is that millionaires find what they're good at and how they can contribute and provide value to other people. And we'll just combine that with the last one because they're pretty similar. And the last common trait of millionaires, number seven, is that they choose the right occupation. The authors talk about how most of the affluent in America are business owners, including self-employed professionals. 
but they make an important point that you can't predict if someone is a millionaire by the type of business he or she is in. And it's the same for our job, that we can be wealthy, we can be successful, we can be comfortable, regardless of whether we are working on Wall Street or if we are a teacher. It all comes back to these principles that they've talked about throughout the book, that if we can save more than we make, if we can have the discipline and the, if we can sacrifice in the short term, then in the long term, we can have that peace and that happiness of knowing that we are safe and secure. So again, hopefully this was not judgmental. I hope that it can help us this week to do something small, whether that's starting a budget, whether it's cutting back on something, maybe it's reassessing a big purchase that we're considering. If we can do something small today, I know that it will pay off tomorrow. So again, I hope that these principles and these lessons help you today and tomorrow as you seek to build your great life. In closing, we just want to thank you for the reviews and sharing the podcast. It makes such a difference as we try to help someone each week. We can't do it without you. Thank you for listening. We know everyone is really busy. Our time is short and it means a lot that you're here with us. So as always, please let us know how we can get better. If there are certain books you want us to review, we'd be more than happy to. So thanks again and we'll see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Thank you.